0: Welcome to the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf podcast, where we explore the diversity of Arctic knowledge.
1: In this podcast, we amplify the voices of scholars and experts from around the world to make the Arctic easy and
2: accessible to everyone. So tune in and join our in-depth conversations that take you beyond the headlines and write into the latest ideas, challenges and experiences from the Arctic.
0: Our guest today is Dr. Erik Pagle. Erik is a researcher at the Division of History of Science, Technology and Environment at KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. He is currently researching the history of global environmental governance as part of the Project Sphere, study of the planetary-human-environment relationship. While writing his doctoral dissertation, The Northwood Course of the Anthropocene, he developed a strong interest in the Arctic, and in particular Svalbard, including the international research base of New Orleans. He's published several articles and book chapters on related topics. Eric has worked with radio and later with podcasts since the 1990s, and in 2018 launched the podcast Polar Geopolitics, which analyzes a wide range of issues related to the Arctic and Antarctica. He also currently produces two other podcasts Sphere, a podcast on the evolution of global environmental governance, and the Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Saga Helgesen, your host today. And I'm Ljuba Timonina.
1: And this time we're having Eric Faglia, the voice behind the famous Polar Geopolitics podcast. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining us today.
3: Well, it's great to be here. It's uh, nice to be invited to somebody else's podcast and I appreciate uh taking part. Very much so.
1: How are you doing in these days? How's the podcast um going in this corona times?
3: Uh it's going quite well, I would say. I mean, I think that um you know it creates a little more flexibility schedule wise. You know, I, I happen to live near the studio that I record the the podcast at, so it's uh just a couple of minutes walk from where I live. So that uh, makes things a little bit easier. And, uh, you know, the world hasn't stopped, obviously. Uh, there's still plenty of things to talk about. Uh, the most recent episode, I was kind of playing off of the uh, Suez Canal incident uh, to talk about Arctic shipping, if there'd be an impact on, on uh, the future of Arctic shipping because of perhaps uh, different perceptions of risk uh, regarding shipping routes and such. So uh, there's there's never any shortage of things to talk about on uh, on any of the podcasts that I'm involved with. So. It's going well, going quite well, actually.
2: Yeah, and I, I love that I've listened to a couple of your episodes and they're all very current, um, like you say, with the Suez Canal and, and the implications for the Arctic in terms of that. So, just to sort of get started, could you tell us a bit about your background and maybe how you came to the idea of running the podcast?
3: Well, I've been working with radio for a long time, since the 90s. For let's say the first 10 years or so, I was just doing uh, music radio dj music director on a rock and roll radio station and i was kind of thinking at that point that it's time i started talking about other stuff other than rock music so i started doing an environmental podcast because i was interested in environmental issues um and i just started you know doing podcasting even though i didn't even know what podcasting was at that time i was doing a radio show that i put up on the internet and um then i started my phd training became interested in, in arctic issues uh through uh, my uh, my department at uh, kth in Stockholm and some years after that I realized that uh, there was all kinds of podcasts out there but there wasn't really any that was dealing with the geopolitics of the polar regions uh, there was very few podcasts on on the Arctic or Antarctic at all so I said uh, well this this seems like kind of a hole that should be filled. And uh, since I'm interested in these topics, and I know a lot of the people that are experts on these uh, subjects, I said, uh, I can give it a shot. and start a polar geopolitics podcast. Uh, during the, end of the course of my research, even though I wasn't specifically researching geopolitics per se, I realized that many of the issues in the Arctic somehow touched upon geopolitics one way or another, whether it was climate change or heritage or um, scientific research. Many, if not all, facets of the polar regions had a geopolitical dimension to it. So that's why I thought that would be sort of a good, um, a good entryway into, uh, into a, a series of discussions with experts. And that became the podcast.
2: Absolutely. And, it, and it's, so, uh, it's so interdisciplinary, as you say. Uh, really interesting. Uh, so if you could go into a little bit more detail, uh, what is the main idea behind polar geopolitics? Can you tell us a bit about it?
3: Well. Basically, it's it's to cover most things happening in the polar region, but with the geopolitical dimensions emphasized somehow. So I've done episodes from, I'm a bit opportunistic. If I meet somebody that I think is interesting, I try to find some way I can make it a little bit geopolitical. Uh, so I, I met uh, at a conference a couple of years ago, I met uh, an expert on the, the Greenland Norse uh, colony from the uh, from the Middle Ages, and I said, well, it's not exactly geopolitical, but uh, there's a geopolitical dimension because the failure to adapt of the, the, the Viking settlement there uh, has some parallels in, in some of the changes happening in the, in the Arctic today. So the idea is to cover polar issues in all kinds of ways and find some way to tie back to geopolitics. So it could be anything from talking to a climate scientist, to talking to a, a military uh, general, which I've done, uh, high-ranking Canadian general, uh, to speaking to you know, academic analysts, to speaking most recently to a shipping industry expert who wasn't really a, uh, an Arctic person per se, but uh, certainly his background uh, was, was useful for understanding what could happen in, in polar shipping in the years ahead. So to find different ways to illuminate the polar regions um, in a whole series of, of uh, ways, through a whole, whole bunch of different uh, angles and lenses.
1: Great thanks for this introduction of the podcast. Since the podcasts have really evolved like during the last uh, couple of decades, how do you see this you know process and where is your podcast then, where is this
3: niche? Well I mean my day job is, uh, is in the academic world so a lot of my the people that I approach are you know academics people that I meet at conferences or read their articles or I mean in the case of the, the polar I mean I I do right now I'm doing three podcasts uh, the polar geopolitics being being one of them um, and it seems like a pretty well defined community of, of of experts many of which are academics but not all of them I think it fits in well because it uh, it's a way to basically bring this these academic discussions that take place in you know research articles and books and conferences. To some extent, bringing them to to a wider audience that might not otherwise come across some of these these perspectives. So, yeah. So I think it's a great way to, to do it in in a, in a kind of language and in a kind of uh, format that that is well suited for taking what's happening inside of the academic world and bringing it to potentially wider audiences. And I think it, it's 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 helpful in that way. I think also it's good for the researchers themselves also to just not forcing a lot of them are very experienced communicators uh, from before the interview they do with me, but uh, it also helps sharpen their analysis as well. I think it uh, it makes them boil down their arguments to communicate them in language that is uh, maybe not uh, so hard to understand for for non academic people. Uh, so I think it, it it serves several different purposes. It's good for. Let's say for, for stakeholders in, in a wider sense, it's good for the, for the researchers. It's good for me. I, I learn very much from uh, from doing these interviews, preparing the interviews, doing them. Uh, and I, I think the the listeners, I hope and I think uh, appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. No, I I think you've touched on very much, you know, the the benefits that that podcast can have for for a variety of, of reasons. It's not just for the listeners, but it's for us as the hosts. We're learning and preparing and also for the for your guests that are coming on for them to get their research and their uh, experience across. And it's fun. Uh, yeah, very much. We've definitely found that when we started, uh, especially me, since I just started in the second season. It's been incredibly fun to to learn and yeah get a get a new um, new take on on the Arctic, and and what's going on there. So I was wondering, with um, as you say, you've had your experience in radio broadcasting. Can you maybe tell us um, what podcasts have uh, sort of over traditional radio programming that you think is beneficial to them? Uh, as you say, maybe to reach wider audiences and such.
3: Well, podcasts are so easy. They're so easy to access. I mean, you know, you don't have to go to any particular website or tune into any particular um, frequency on the radio at a certain time. I mean, it's just so easy to just to get them out there to, to distribute them via Apple or Google or Spotify apps that almost everybody, let's say most people, have on their phones already. So they're they're very easy to to distribute. I think that's that's the biggest advantage. Now, I love traditional radio. I, I still do traditional radio, FM radio. I, I you know and doing it live uh to me it's to admit it, it's even more fun to do to do something live as opposed to doing it recorded and then going and editing it and clipping it together um which you know it has its advantages and it, it maybe makes it uh more direct and compact but i still love doing live broadcasting but podcasting it yeah i mean it as opposed to a traditional radio show it uh you can be more flexible in terms of how long i mean if I interview someone and we can talk for ten or twelve or fifteen minutes and and cover what we want to cover, that's fine. But if I talk to somebody for an hour or two hours or whatever, that's you know there's no there's no limitations, no restrictions on the length of a podcast. I mean, I try to keep most of my podcasts in the you know twenty to forty minute range, but that's not a hard and fast rule. So if it goes shorter or longer, that's no problem. Yeah, so there, there's course there's a lot of similarities between a a radio program and a a podcast but also you know i can do a podcast by myself i I do most of my live radio shows by myself as well but i think if you're looking at like a national radio station or something like that there's three four ten people involved with producing a radio program and some podcasts as well i don't have that kind of resources and i don't i don't need that but um to me podcasts are you know they're they're pretty even though there it takes quite a bit of time as as i'm sure the, both of you know quite well it takes quite a bit of time to prepare to to record to to edit to to, to upload to do all the just coming up with a title that, that sometimes to me that, that can take a couple of hours just trying to say in a, in a handful of words what am i going to call this episode oh yeah <laughs> we know that. that you realize right Or writing the little three or four lines of text to describe it without not sounding pretentious or just just dull. It just uh, there's so many dimensions to it that it takes some time. But I can do it all myself. I don't need to rely upon anybody else to do that. Which which, but of course a lot of the credit goes to the guest. And and that's that's the way I, I produce my podcast as well. With, I might know a thing or two about the topic we're talking about. I do some background research. I might it might be something I know quite a bit about. But in most cases, the people that I interview, they're the experts. And I I my job is to to get them talking and to keep them talking and and you know come at them from from several different angles. Um so I can do it myself, but I of course give all the credit in the world to the guests that, that really bring this sort of the uh the, the expertise that makes the podcast I think uh interesting and, and compelling.
1: So how do you actually get people talking?
3: You know, it, it that varies it's a good question. I mean that, that varies quite a bit. Um some of the people that, I've, that I interview and that I that I approached interview. Um, I know them from before, and I know what kind of people they are, if they're talkative or, or you know. And I've done hundreds of interviews in my life for the various um, radio shows and podcasts I've done. And it can vary from people that you just basically say, so tell me about this, and then they can talk for an hour. You know, that's, you know, that's fine. Others, you've got to kind of, really kind of pull every, every answer out of them. That's pretty rare, I would say. I think most experts, they they know their topic and they they have a lot of interesting things to say about it. Perhaps in some cases they talk a little too long and you got to kind of, you know, boil it down a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, to me, it's being prepared. I mean, I I usually try to have 8 to 10, well, let's say 6 to 12 questions prepared and try to have them in some sequence that, that seems logical before starting the interview. Now, you might not get through all those questions in the course of the interview, or you know it might not come in that order, or they might um, they might answer your fifth question in their first answer. I mean, so it's 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 more of a, of a framework, just so you're ready, just so you have something to say if all of a sudden they stop talking and then. You need to ask him something to sort of keep the conversation going, but of course there's there's a certain flexibility involved as well, you know, in, in, these, in these discussions. I try to make it more like a discussion or a conversation, not to have just a question answer question answer question answer, just to get them talking, to have follow up questions, listen to what they say, uh, play off of that. Challenge them, perhaps you know, maybe a little bit of a the uh, what's, what's the what's the, the Socrates method, the uh, you know, uh, playing devil's advocate to a certain extent. Uh, so yeah, it, it comes with some experience, but I think a lot of it is preparation. You know, reading reading up on what they've written before, and and having some and having some questions prepared
2: absolutely and it's it's very much a listening game i think uh listening to what to what they have to say like uh you know sometimes they all answer your last question in the beginning and so it's about you know uh staying on top of that so wondering um how do you think or do you think podcasts are a good platform to mediate academic knowledge and expertise
3: yeah i think they're great in that sense you know as an academic you guys can probably relate to this as well that uh how many people actually read your work? You know, it depends. <laughs> if you write an academic article, maybe it gets read by who knows how many people—a couple of dozen, maybe. If if you're you know if you're lucky, maybe a couple of hundred. Podcasts, you know, you can you might get thousands of people listening to it, uh, and right away you don't have to wait for it to go through. You know, to research it, write it, peer review, publication, then having it dis- discovered over the course of some months or some years. Podcast, you can you can kind of jump right in you do some research and then you have something to say about this this topic so i I think it's a great way to get information out um fast and maybe in a more compact way you know in 20 minutes 30 minutes you can say quite a bit and i think that people process spoken word in a a different way perhaps than they do from reading an academic article that's often terminology and and arguments that are maybe not always clear on first reading so I, i think it's a great compliment and i think. It can reach a wider audience, but it can also, I think, reach a peer audience as well. They can say, "Oh, okay, so he's now. I see what uh, what she's doing now. That's that's interesting that she's she's taking up that angle. I, I I've been thinking about that myself, but I, I think it's um I, it's a great compliment. I think it's it's a way to to reach peers, to reach other stakeholders, to do it quicker, more compact, and um and I don't. I think also in this pandemic year, having spoken content is more human somehow you know you're actually hearing a human voice talking about something that's happening i I think it's it's kind of keeps you company in some sense as well the the human element the spoken human voice actually does add value to ways that you are informed or entertained
1: i think you're absolutely right and i really do agree with you that like talking to someone uh, discussing something actually does make a very big difference especially now in this uh, pandemic times. It really adds, yeah, it keeps you company in many ways, whenever you're, wherever you are.
3: Yeah, they can say things that they wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't fit in the word count in an academic article and they can, they can, okay. I don't know, tell, tell a story, something that, you know, that, that wouldn't, just wouldn't fit in, in a, it's a purely academic, serious article. It's, it has to be very sort of logical and everything. Yeah, it, it's a different way. It's a different way to to, to, to communicate and also to, I mean, I also, I've, I've used podcasts as a research tool, other people's podcasts and my own podcast. You know, so it, it, when I was writing my dissertation, many of the podcast interviews that I had done for my for this other podcast that I that I I used to do called Think Globally Radio, which is still actually uh, available. The sort of the archive is still available. Which I'd done several hundred interviews with uh, environmental scientists, historians, uh, activists. And to me, it was it was a great uh, research tool. You know listening to it, and um, just absorbing the information in a different way. I can see my podcast and other people's podcasts playing that role as well. And
2: you get a more personal note to it as well, and and why, why they're interested in the topic that they've been researching and such.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, the tricky thing with talking to researchers and academics is that they actually do love talking, talking for a long time. And you mentioned that uh, a little bit earlier, but I really wonder how you deal with that because it really happens so often that you ask a question and then you get a thirty minutes answer. Because as researchers, we do tend uh, sometimes to you know get into this presentation mode, and then it's uh, yeah, then it's you kind of you ask yourself your own questions and you reply to them. How do you deal with that?
3: Yeah, that that's that, that can be a challenge sometimes. When I first started doing my environmental radio show, Think Globally Radio, back in 2002, it was actually a live radio show that I recorded live in real time. It was broadcast on certain hours on the radio. So there was a a one-hour time constraint. And sometimes I would have to basically kind of keep them on on topic and sort of keep them within certain uh, time boundaries. And uh, that was based on live studio interviews in the studio. So we're face-to-face. So I would, you know, the the watch. Say, you know, we got to hurry up. Um, in this past year now, in a lot of the interviews I do these days are online or on over the phone, so it's a little harder to interrupt them you know, the, the sort of the visual cues that you can do with, if you're actually speaking them face to face. So yeah, that that it's not easy. That, that's not an easy part because because they're obviously they're, they're often saying something very interesting. You don't want to interrupt them, but at the same time, you want to have a chance to cover some other questions as well. So, yeah, it's, you know, you just kind of kind of feel out the situation. Of course, you have the, the power to edit after the fact. As a producer of the podcast, if you want to shave down what they said a little bit, I, you can do that. Uh, and I, I do do that sometimes, but I, I usually try to keep as much of what they said as possible. But, yeah, you know, because I think oftentimes they feel unchained, you know, when they're talking to someone like like us as the producers of a podcast, where, you know, if they're talking to like a, a TV reporter or a, a radio reporter, traditional traditional media or a newspaper, maybe they're I don't, under under more time constraints, so they 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 know they've got like two minutes to say everything. Whereas if it's a more relaxed sort of podcast setting, they might say, oh, I, you know, I can not be so stressed out about squeezing everything into a sort of a you know 60 second soundbite. And I think they appreciate that, but it it, it, can, it can be a bit of a problem sometimes when they go on a little too long. But uh, usually Usually it's okay. And, and like I said earlier about the sort of the flexibility of a podcast, unless you're really aiming to have a, a short podcast or a very, you know, 20 minute time limit or 15 minute time limit, unless you're under those restraints, and then I think it's usually okay.
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot. I wonder if you compare researchers to experts from other professional backgrounds. Is there a big difference in how they talk and tend to talk about, if we say, geopolitics in
3: general? Yeah, I mean, it, there can be um, absolutely. It, it, I think the the biggest, especially in something like polar geopolitics, there is the uh, the sensitivities uh, that are involved with with talking about certain certain topics. So academics, you know, I think they generally feel at liberty to say things based upon their 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 research. They feel that they're experts on this, and I, of course, other people from other walks of life feel they're experts as well. Not for polar geo, well, I think for polar geopolitics, I've interviewed. Ambassadors as well, but for my environmental program, I've interviewed a lot of ambassadors over the years, and uh, of course, they've got to be diplomatic. You know, that's what that's their diplomats. So they've, they've got to be very careful in their word choice and talking with certain certain topics. They 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 you know they've got to be aware of that. In some of the episodes of Polar Geopolitics, I won't point out certain ones or certain individuals, but you can go through the archive and look at um, certain interviews and certain questions that I've asked, where you realize that just by definition they they can't answer the question as openly as they would off the record you know because these these are sensitive issues sometimes these are these are you know high stakes issues that they, they've got to be a little bit careful about
2: but that's that's also interesting to hear that if uh if you can sense that thing that that you know they are on the job and so that um they are doing their duty and so you can but that adds to the dynamics I guess of the podcast if if you know that they're an official role.
3: Yeah, and I don't want to I try to be aware of that. I don't want to try to like put them on the spot and you know that that's that's I don't feel that's my role um to try to you know make them say something that that will, you know, get them in trouble or to to, to, to create headlines. Of course I want I want to be I want to be saying you know talking myself that's interesting and, and sort of that gets people's attention, but I don't want to do it at the expense of them saying something that they feel that they can't say. And of course, it does happen where they, they want to rephrase themselves sometimes when you can sort of say, okay, I, I, let me say that a different way. So i say, okay, I'll, I'll edit that out afterwards. <laughs> you know, that's not optimal, but I, I will do that because I want them to feel feel good about the, the interaction and I want them to, to, to communicate the message they want to communicate. I'm not sort of even though I see this as a form of journalism, I don't feel it's a kind of journalism where you're trying to sort of make headlines. This is more of a, of a learning. No,
2: exactly, and yeah, and you want you want them to shine as well, isn't it? To shine, but but also to
3: feel that they've um,
2: and get their knowledge across.
3: To, to get their knowledge across, their expertise, their their insights, but without you know making them putting them in a place where they they've said something. Uh, that might, might get them in trouble. I mean, some of my some of my other podcasts, I've, I've talked to people, even academics and analysts, that they say up front, look, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about these things, but I, I've got to be honest that I, I can't, um, certain things I've got to be very careful about. And I think I've also, let's say the interviews that I have not done, I think that a lot of, especially around the corona, I do a coronavirus uh, podcast as well, and there's been a number of people that I've approached about that. They don't say why they're saying no, to being on the podcast, but I I kind of realize that this is something that they got to be careful about talking about it, about certain things that are that are sensitive or explosive, which is interesting. Interesting is to kind of that's also a bit of a sociology in in people that say yes and people that say no to to my invitations to be on a, on, a, on a podcast, and even though I'm the only one who knows about this, that, that my podcast listeners don't know the people that, that say no, uh, I, I think that's also pretty interesting as well to, to kind of to see. Or to get some, to interpret what's going on under the surface on these very sort of, these very high stakes, very current issues.
1: Yeah, you definitely get a lot of very valuable, uh, interesting observations during this practice. You know, this is what we've also been trying to do, like to create this safe environment in a way that where people feel comfortable talking and expressing themselves and maybe touching on some topics which they would not necessarily, you know, do in their peer-reviewed paper, or like when the editors, you know, uh, when you write an article and then the editors just say, nah, this is, (laughs) you should take away that. And then uh, podcasts, I think, could be a way of really, you know, engaging in certain provocative even topics for researchers that can really spark some more discussion on top of what's been written.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think it's also, you know, just these things are kind of, Pop up that all of a sudden, you know, just kind of fun to talk about it. Like one example was when um, this whole when Trump wanted to to buy Greenland, that kind of exploded. You know, beyond the 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 the, the Arctic circle, beyond the sort of the, the circle of people that are interested in the Arctic, it became a big news item, and you got to talk about it. You know, maybe if you wrote a paper about it that was published six months later, and you know, it, it you kind of lose the the, the kind of the the. The, the, the suddenness of it, but call up uh, this guy in Denmark who's an expert on Greenland, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you get a great conversation, and, and there it is, you know, and, and you're part of the debate all of a sudden. Right, you catch the momentum. <laughs> yeah, which which is which is fantastic. It's, it's really fun, and I also got to say too that I think that um, it just sort of popped in my head. It's I think sometimes that traditional media goes to podcasts to learn about something like this that they don't they don't know anything about Greenland, for instance. The, the the podcast that I that I did on Greenland, um after the the Trump uh thing, I saw some articles in the BBC that had some kind of a, you know, you know, like a week later that um had a, a similar kind of framing of it. That I, I guess they probably, you know, they said, okay, we gotta we gotta write an article about Greenland and Trump. What what do we do? Let's let's look around, let's Google this. And I, I think they probably heard the podcast, and not that I'm an expert on Greenland, I know a bit, but this this uh this guy, Jan Rebek uh, Clemensen, who's kind of my Greenland guy, this Danish guy, um, he's total expert. I, I think they listened to him. I think they that that helped, even though they didn't cite the podcast, I think they actually, I'm just speculating, I'm not saying they did, but I, I just got the feeling they turned to something like a podcast to learn about this, this sort of niche topic and find some expert that has come out with something just like fresh, not something that was published, you know, a year ago or two years ago. So. I think the podcast can 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 play that role as well the sort of can be leveraged into like a into the, the more traditional media the experts that kind of can come on our podcast today can be a week later you know influencing what's covered in in much bigger traditional medias
2: I think, I think that's very cool that obviously it's speculation but it could it could well be true on on a similar topic we've seen um in recent years there's been this proliferation of podcasts being uh, published so we're wondering how, how do you stay on top of things and engage with listeners when sometimes they feel overwhelmed by the amount of podcasts that are now available?
3: Yeah, that that's that's true. There there's a ton of podcasts these days. But still relatively few um Arctic, Antarctic podcasts. Um there's yours, there's mine, there's a few others that I know of, but uh there's not there's not that many. So I think that um for this community, and I, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty dedicated community of people that are interested in these topics. I don't know if they all know about your podcast. I don't know if they all know about my podcast, but, you know, these podcasts can be an important sort of uh platform, you know, sort of a uh, node for, for these kind of uh, topics to be discussed. And uh, i have also going to say that a lot of times, I mean, of the, the 35 or so episodes that I've done so far, most of the times it's it's me reaching out to them to, to say I contact somebody because I've, I've read an article they've written or something or I've met them before. But sometimes they come to me, which is kind of fun. There's been a number of the, the episodes I've done have been based upon somebody coming to me saying, um, you know, I, you know I, I've been doing this, this research and uh, do you think it would be interesting to talk about this on your podcast? And I said, well, yeah, that, that does sound pretty interesting. Or in a few cases, it's been like, well, you know, you, you interviewed this person and uh, yeah, they, they, they had some interesting things, but I have you know, a bit of a different take on that. And I said, I'd like to, to come on the podcast and sort of give another perspective on that topic. And that's great too. So it creates a certain conversation. In some, in some ways, I'm kind of mediating a conversation between different experts on, on related topics. In terms of, I think your question was about how to, how to reach people and how to sort of, uh, some sort of curating aspect. Yeah. I mean, that's, that part is kind of challenging, how to sort of get the word out. I mean, I, to a certain extent, uh, I use Twitter. I'm not as good on Twitter as I should be. I should be out there more, but I think that's where a lot of these people are that are in these these communities of um, polar people. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's always a challenge. I mean,
2: Would you say you have a constant, uh, I guess, audience base? Do you keep track of things like that or...?
3: I do think that I have, um, let's say, uh, a dedicated uh, audience. I mean, I know when I put up a new episode, it spikes. So people discover it, you know, I, I guess they're subscribed to the podcast or that it kind of pops up in their in their app. So as soon as a new episode goes up, I, it, it spikes. So I know that people are, are, let's say, waiting for a new episode, which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, it's a growing audience. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's. there's Let's say uh, variation in the, the number of downloads I get from from um, episode to episode, depending on the topic and 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 the, and the person. I mean, some some of these people are famous in some sense, or of a certain position that, that attracts a lot of attention. So, but there's let's say if you look at like a graph, it's a kind of go upward growing going graph with some sort of variation from from episode to episode. So I do think there is a, a pretty well defined, dedicated audience that are interested in these topics. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's actually uh, it's it's really fun to sort of sort of see that to think that that there's uh, people that are that are getting something out of this that are actually this is you know listening in the headphones listening to to the guests listening to me and and yeah it's kind of it's kind of mind blowing in some sense and it's from all over the world too I mean really it's I mean certain countries are are more represented than others in terms of uh, where the downloads come from but it's from Arctic countries from non-Arctic countries countries that I would never guess would have anybody there that would Care about the Arctic, but you know listeners in Vietnam and Oman and you know places that okay there people listening to a polar geopolitics podcast I think that that's pretty cool.
1: It is awesome indeed, I must say I wonder you've you know you've done so many episodes already, and we talk in particular about your polar geopolitics podcast. what are the most you know popular topics? That people listen to, that people are interested in.
3: Like I said, there's some variation in from episode to episode in terms of how many downloads they get, but it's it's not a huge variation. But I would say the ones that, that that get the most attention are the ones that are that are sort of the the real pure geopolitics, you know. And that that's one of the ideas with this podcast too. And when I was thinking of a name for this podcast, I, I knew I wanted to do a podcast on the Arctic and Antarctica, and I knew I wanted to have geopolitics in it. Um, so I wanted the, the people that is to, to come to this podcast, both from the, the the polar community, the Arctic and Antarctic people, but also people that maybe their, their first interest is geopolitics, you know, and geopolitics in different theaters like the Arctic or the Antarctic or anywhere. So the ones that are that are real sort of high, sort of the great power competition type stuff, the real hardcore geopolitics, those seem to get a little extra interest. Compared to maybe some of the other topics that are, are, you know, more specifically polar, Uh, and and I find those interesting as well. When I, when I, I mean, all the episodes I've done, I've learned from and I've enjoyed. But yeah, I, I I also like that that sort of when we're talking about geopolitics with a polar dimension to it, as opposed to a polar issue that is maybe more particularly polar. And you know, these days there's there's quite a bit of growing interest in that. Uh, I think especially since. Well, since the the, the Greenland, <laughs> the Trump in Greenland, it, that seems like that was kind of what started drawing a lot more attention to the polar regions, but to the Arctic specifically, but but to the Antarctic as well. Was it this this, this great power competition uh, frame, which seems to have taken hold, and it seems like it's it's uh, it's rather durable, and it's it's and the Arctic is one part of it, this growing, you know. Russia, China, US, great power competition, but the polar region is certainly one of, the, one of the theaters where this is playing out and I think that's attracting a lot of attention. Maybe it's not a good thing that there's more of this geopolitical competition in the Arctic, but it, it's uh, as someone interested in the polar region, it's very interesting to, to follow that and to cover that and to talk to experts about that. I, I really find that really uh, quite exciting.
1: Right, and it seems to be the similar trend as we would see in news media actually, that everybody is really, interested in reading articles on power competition or power play or some some of this drama, so perhaps this is also the reason why people are still more into uh even listening you know about power relations
3: yeah i mean absolutely it, it is it is fascinating topics right it's it's uh, and of course there's also the the uh the uh yeah the, the drama and i mean the the romance of the polar regions i think it it, it certainly tracks it's it's kind of it's the imagination of the polar regions and you know things happening in the top of the world and and uh, yeah i think it it's uh it's a nice, it's a nice gateway to into into studying some of these these issues and uh it's quite quite exciting
1: it is indeed and then at the same time we're all like many people doing do Arctic they actually try you know to break down this imagination or like to at least to Make it more complex and m- more diverse, so that it's not just uh, topics on military competition or any other competition.
3: <laughs> You're absolutely right, and and that's what a lot of the, the the polar experts try to debunk this idea of this gold rush and all these misconceptions about the Arctic, that you know that it's a no man's land or a you know, new great game. So of course there, there's that aspect as well, is to to sort of to to uh, yeah, debunk you know to sort of uh, reveal some of these 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 narratives as being you know factually inaccurate but it's still i mean there is there is some truth to some of these even though you know yes there, there's not a gold rush per se there's not a these big swaths of unclaimed territory in the arctic that everyone's trying to 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 get to muscle each other out of the way um but there there is some dimension to that you know with you know extended continental shelves and you know, and you know, different uh, dual use of science as sort of a, as a geopolitical tool to some extent. There, there is some aspects of that. But I think that's that's why it's good to have experts explain this. That there, there is factual inaccuracies in in maybe in some of the mainstream uh, media coverage of this. But there is there is certain things that are going on that are um, more complex than than at first uh, they appear on the surface.
2: I think you're absolutely right. And there's even you know there's been talk of the Scramble for the Arctic, like the Scramble for Africa. and and like you say, that's why the podcast as a platform can serve uh, really in in that way to to shed light on some of the misconceptions and and yeah, and debunk some of the myths that have been maybe in traditional media that um, that the average person may maybe doesn't know too much about and they just they just believe what what they hear and so this is about you know de- delving deeper into the matters
3: yeah you're absolutely right and uh and there is also of course very different perspectives amongst experts i mean i've I've had you know a number of experts uh and some have different interpretations of what's going on in the Arctic and others have you know and 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 there's also differing um ideals and and, and convictions what what the Arctic should be, and some people think that it should be this this, this idea of uh, the Arctic as a place for science and for, for international cooperation, versus others that you know have maybe more a realist perspective on what's going on up there. You know, regardless of what the ideal situation could be, they might say that that's that's just pie in the sky. That that, that you know what what the Arctic could be is uh, and what it should
2: be. And how to reach that ideal people also have different ideas of how how to go about it and and in some of our podcasts we've been asking you know how how do you see this happening that you know if they've been laying out something that could be improved how do you actually do that and and it also begs the question of um of uh, if you think that podcasts are a way to get uh i guess uh, action being taken or or influencing stakeholders? Do you, think, do you think there's an avenue for that?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, um, I don't take really a normative position with the podcast as I'm not trying to sort of reach some, some, some sort of goal with, with what I want to see happen in the Arctic. I, I, like, I like to bring in the different voices. I mean, I think speaking to one or the other, they might have very different perspectives it can be equally interesting. Of course, you know I I bet certain views of my own and certain. Of course, I want I want the I I care about the Arctic. So I want you know I want the Arctic to be, you know, uh, a place. You know, of course, peace is better than conflict, and and uh, I want to see the Arctic uh, environment uh, preserved to the extent possible. But of course, these these are complex issues, uh, and and there's very different perspectives, and and I'm not saying one is right and one is is wrong in terms of the way. I don't live in the Arctic, so I don't have the same. Stockholm, I guess, is almost arctic, but it doesn't really feel very arctic usually. So I I don't have. ah, It's an interesting question. I mean, do I see myself as a stakeholder? Even Uh, I I guess, in some some sense, I do, since I I, am researching it and talking about it. But yeah, I'm not trying to get. I'm not trying to 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 create activity in and of itself. But I, I do think that people that listen to the podcast and listen to what the experts have to say about it, maybe are motivated to be concerned or interested or reflective on certain issues
2: or maybe just starting a starting a dialogue oh yeah you and, and and that
3: that very much so i think that maybe that that is my normative goal per se with with the uh, with the podcast is fostering dialogue uh and that dialogue could be me and the guest or it could be one guest um Saying one thing, and then another guest reflecting on that, and getting in touch with me, and, and wanted to bring their perspective in, like I mentioned before. Uh, so yeah, so creating a I think the, con- the word conversation is maybe overused these days, but creating a yeah a sort of a forum for for ideas and, and perspectives, and, and yeah, and, and different uh, different different norms to, to be brought in together and and uh, brought to the surface to be put out there.
1: Certainly, other. In your opinion, any, you know, topics that really deserve, like, first and foremost attention and that that need to be discussed more than others nowadays?
3: Of course, I think that the topics to get the most discussion, um, both on on polar geopolitics podcasts, but in much wider media uh, circles, both the more specialized Arctic and and polar media uh, and, and also mainstream media would be climate change in the Arctic and and China and China's interest in the Arctic. These are obviously very well discussed in academic circles and scientific circles and mainstream media and here on this podcast. And I think that that's fine. Um, what should be, if you say what, what should be discussed more? I mean, that's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, there's certain things that that I find very interesting just because of my background. Um there are certain things that I don't think get discussed enough because of maybe my limitations, uh, the, the sort of the, the circles that I move in, and in, in what I'm. I mean, if we just uh, we talk so much, uh, for the most part uh, here in this interview about the Arctic, sometimes I feel that I don't I don't bring enough attention to the Antarctic, um, which I think should be discussed more in on my podcast but also maybe more in the media as well i you know my my own academic research has been on the arctic so I, the Ar- antarctic i'm learning as i go i think i i know quite a bit about it but i i have a lot more to learn and that's that's one of the great things about the podcast i get to talk to some of the experts on that um so i think maybe the, Ant- the antarctic deserves more attention and uh some of the longer term issues there that uh are maybe more prominent in other parts of the world, like uh, Australia and, and, and South America, and that, that's I'd say one of the failings of of polar geopolitics. The podcast so far is that um, I haven't had enough global South voices since it's mostly Arctic that I that I've done. The Antarctic episodes that I've done have been Australian, New Zealand researchers, one one uh, Chinese researcher, that kind of a Chinese perspective. So I I need more South American voices because I know it's it's a very important issue for for Chile for Argentina uh, and other countries in South America. So I'd like to know more about that. I think that uh, the podcast should have more, but I, those those are not so much in my in my network, and, and that's one of the sort of the um, limitations that I that I need to address. And I think it's also important for that to be brought up on uh, in, in the global discussions as well. Is this sort of the uh, other perspectives on polar issues and, and other countries that are maybe not associated with these places, other countries that have an interest. And that's something, it's also in the Arctic context that I think is going to come up in one of the, the upcoming episodes is then we see some of these other newer actors that, that want into the Arctic. Uh, Turkey, for instance, I think we're going to talk about uh, in an upcoming episode. And the other other issues that I think should be brought up more is the the indigenous perspective uh, in general uh, and also on my podcast I haven't covered that enough it's it's once again it's not something that I have a lot of uh, uh, experience with from my own research and my own networks but I, I do plan on bringing that in uh, to a larger extent including indigenous but not just indigenous but also perspectives from people that live in the Arctic indigenous and non-indigenous uh, local perspectives let's say from uh, the russian north from from the canadian north um from alaska
2: we could uh, we could definitely go on about this all day i think we have, there's plenty to talk about um and it's kind of a it's it's a funny thing that we're having a podcast about podcasting so it's it's been really fun and you definitely have a wealth of experience that that we we would be lucky to to learn just a few tidbits from you so I'm wondering, do you have, just in very, very briefly, do you have any tips uh, for hosting a podcast? What things to bear in mind as we wrap up?
3: Yeah, as I mentioned before, I think um, being prepared, you know being, you know, being prepared with background research, obviously, with, um, with questions, to kind of imagine how the interview will go. Although, you know, it's not going to go exactly that way. You should always have more questions prepared than, than you will probably need. And like I said, that that's somewhere in the 8, 10, 12 question range, depending, of course, on your podcast, how, how long the podcast is going to be, and what you're going to be talking about. But that's kind of a rule of thumb for me. Yeah, I mean, backup. <laughs> I'm I'm a bit, even though I've been doing podcasting, and radio for a long time, I'm still a bit of a technophobe. So I'm always worried that uh, the recording is going to crash or something like that. Um, so I will say to to, to have backup plans, even though I don't, I don't always practice what I preach. But I have lost interviews before because you know, if I was doing a, a interview with somebody uh, at a conference on a, on a mobile device, uh, my batteries died, you know, so, you know, make sure your batteries are charged that you're, you have a, a recording, a uh, stable recording platform. Um, yeah. That that would be my, my recommendations. And I think it's just, I can highly recommend doing it. I think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great learning experience, great way to, to sort of expand your, your, your your, your view of, of your topic and of the world, perhaps. And, uh, yeah, and to, and I think this is the first time I've been interviewed by another podcast. And I, and I think this, this is uh, also to be recommended, to kind of cross-fertilize and to uh, interact and to um, to kind of plug in.
1: To have fun, as you said before. To have fun, right? And to feel <laughs> like
3: you're part of a community. You know, you're part of a community of the topic you're talking about, where it's polar issues, but also you're part of a community of podcasters. You know, so it's it's fun.
1: Right. And it's I think it's especially in our time, it's so necessary to feel like you're part of this community. And as also for early career researchers, I think it's even extra important to try to explore this dimension of podcasting or at this, you know, recording yourself because it's not only conferences that we can that we can go and, and talk about what we're actually interested in. There are so many other venues where we can express ourselves. In many different ways, right, and we don't need to be academic
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely
1: uh, tradition academic yeah
3: and in the, in these kind of skills I think they they uh, they're useful for for academic careers to be able to communicate and, and to sort of express yourself, um, but also in other other walks of life you know and yeah, I think that the experience you get from a podcast can open doors and, and, and it, can, it can improve your um, confidence and your and your your command of certain topics and technologies and uh and open up you to to whole other other um networks of people
1: yeah and maybe the last question to you uh like a personal question what are your favorite podcasts that you usually listen to if not apology or politics that you have to listen to while editing it many many times yeah or maybe our podcast will which will perhaps become one of your favorites hopefully but what
3: a- <laughs> yeah indeed
1: <laughs> what are the podcasts that you would recommend or like would like to share with uh
3: listeners well one podcast that i that i really enjoy um it's actually it's a bbc radio show that's that's done in podcast you know it's it's made available as a podcast so it's it's a, it's a radio show but it's, it's available as a podcast uh it's called in our time uh, it's uh it's been on i think it's been on for twenty or thirty years as a radio show and it's uh basically it's a it's a pretty simple format it's it's one uh program host a guy called melvin bragg that um brings in three academics to, to discuss one particular topic it could be a a book or it could be a a battle or it could be a, a poem or a or a scientific discovery and to really to get um three experts talking about one topic in in great detail and uh i, I i'm yeah, I mean, I don't want to say he's my role model as a as a host. And that would be going too far. But just the way one person can can get a topic so thoroughly covered in forty minutes of talking with three experts. I I, I don't listen to every episode they do because some some of the topics I'm not that interested in. But it's one of the podcasts that I always look forward to whenever it's published uh, every Thursday. Um, so that that's that's one that I that I would recommend.
2: Uh, I will definitely have to check that out. And it, and it shows you that, that there are so many different formats of a, of a podcast. You can have different setups and different concepts. Um, you know, like the Desert Island Discs, they're around, you know, that you get celebrities and they they pick eight tracks that uh, they feel represent their life. And so that's sort of another yeah. format. And obviously not, not academic topics, but um, but yeah, it just shows you that there's a lot of variety out there.
3: And, and exactly. And there, there's some podcasts that, you know, that I enjoy that I know I'll never be able to, to do it like that because they they have like, if you listen at the end of the podcast, they they, they read out all the, the, you know, they name all the people that are involved in producing the podcast. And it can be like 10 or 15 or 20 people that have, you know, gone into, you know, making this fantastic production of, you know, scoring it with music and clips and everything like that. And uh, I, sure, I would love to do a podcast like that, but I, I, you know, I don't have the time to dedicate that. I don't have also the, all the, the expertise in terms of you know, mixing it together all the sound and everything. I, I can do a little bit of that, but not, uh, not to the extent. So yeah, there's one podcast that I, that I really loved. Um, it was called Crime Town. I only listened to the first season of it because it was based on uh, a city near where I'm from. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts originally. This was based on the city of Providence. So season one was... The city of Providence and, and sort of its sort of uh, reputation as a city where, where organized crime was basically one of the sort of the endemic characteristics of, of the city. And it was an, it's an amazingly produced podcast that first season. I haven't followed it after that, but uh, yeah. So I have a pretty diverse taste in podcasts. I'll name those two for now.
2: Oh, perfect well it's it's really been a pleasure uh, talking with you eric and and hearing about your experience and your take on on the podcasting world so I would like to thank you on our behalf and and it's been great talking to you
3: the same i really enjoyed this and uh, let's do it again sometime